0: This episode is brought to you by The Copywriter Underground, the place to find more than 20 templates, dozens of presentations on topics like copywriting, marketing, mindset, a community of successful writers who share ideas and leads, and The Copywriter Club newsletter, which is mailed directly to your home every single month. Learn more at thecopywriterunderground.com.
1: What if you could hang out with seriously talented copywriters and other experts, ask them about their successes and failures, their work processes and their habits, then steal an idea or two to inspire your own work? That's what Kira and I do every week at the Copywriter Club podcast.
0: You're invited to join the club for episode 197 as we chat with red hot copywriter Lori Morgan about the differences between writing for men and women, why she wrote her book, Ignite Your Moxie and What It's About?, what she's done to create a profitable copywriting business, and how she landed a job working on the set of Baywatch. Welcome, Lori.
1: Hey, Lori.
2: Hey, good to be here, you guys.
0: Great to have you here, Lori. So let's start. As much as I want to ask you everything about Baywatch right away, I feel like we should wait to hear about that. Uh, but let's start with your story. How did you end up as a copywriter?
2: Oh, yes. Everyone has a story. Nobody wants to be a copywriter when they're a little girl, do they? <laughs> so I have a journalism degree, but I always wanted to be an actress. So this is kind of the the rambling version, but I'll try to get to the point real quick. So I moved to California, which is where I live now, to be an actress. And this kind of will jump into the Baywatch a little bit later, too. But um, I'm a terrible actress, it turns out. I just really like the whole whole idea of it. So instead, I got married and I had children, which was wonderful. And then um, I ended up getting divorced and had to get a job. Oh, no. And uh the whole time I was working in corporate, I was dying to be home with my kids again, to be a stay-at-home mom again. And I was like, hey, wait a second, I can write. I can there's no reason why I can't write from home. And this was in the 90s, right, when the internet was starting to get to be a thing. And I my boss ended up retiring at my business and I just never got another job. I'm like, I'm gonna figure out how to be a writer from home. And I focused on doing like press releases and uh, stuff like that. And then a client came to me who wanted me to write 52 autoresponders. And I'm like, what the hell is an autoresponder? And that was my introduction into copywriting. And he showed me, he introduced me to Gary Halbert, like the style and Dan Kennedy. And I'm like, oh my God, where has this been my whole life? This is what I want to do. This was in 1999. And at this time, there weren't the dozens and hundreds of copywriting trainings that there are now. So you really had to to either work for an agency, which I did not do, or you just had to figure it out on your own. And so I just became obsessed with it. I copied letters by hand. I uh, found out who was the best. Uh, I ended up, I think what pushed me over the edge was hiring John Carlton to be my mentor. And he really held my feet to the fire and made me get good really fast. And uh, I went to a lot of events and it, it sort of bubbled up from there. So that's how I, I started Red Hot Copy. was in the 90s so I could be with my kids.
1: I love it. So I'd love to know more about the mentorship with John Carlton. We've never had the pleasure of having him on the podcast, but have heard very good things. I've seen him speak a couple of times and have seen a lot of the material that he puts out, including – some of his, you know, best sales pages. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that mentorship and the kinds of things that you learned and did while you were working with John.
2: Wow. John is my favorite mentor. I've also mentored with Gary Halbert and Dan Kennedy, both um, later on down the line. But John is amazing because he is a no bullshit kind of guy. Pardon my French, but he's just, he will tell you like it is. And, um, he makes you do the work. So he was, he was hard. He sent me crying from the room many times, like, Oh, I'm never going to be able to do this. And then he told me, look, I'm hard on you because you're good. And I want you to be better. And so he, if there were no cutting corners or no like pats on the head. You really had to earn his, his, um, uh, praise. And uh, I think I did because he actually started having me come to his live events to be the female voice of reason, quote unquote, in the room or just kind of interpret how women like to to buy. Because as you know, that it was a, a big boys club in when copywriting sort of was getting started. And it's only just changing, I would say, in the last five years. So I was one of the few women who had any sort of visibility way back then and um I've been around for a long time so i working with john has been wonderful and uh, the kinds of stuff he would teach is to just kind of like write your copy you know balls to the wall just full out and then you can go back and edit you can walk it back but just you it's hard to amp up your copy after you've already written it. So like no holds barred, just go for it and write just fearlessly. That's the thing I learned from him most is just to write fearlessly.
0: Wow. I love that lesson. And to get a little bit deeper into that, I'm hearing that I'm like, oh, I I want to write fearlessly. How how do we do that? How do copywriters write uh, without fear? And especially if they feel lit up, even hearing those words, what can we do to break it down so we can do that better and do more of it?
2: A lot of us have the imposter syndrome going on. That's kind of a big buzz phrase going on right now. But um, it's really true. And the the way you can overcome feeling like you're a fraud is to get really good at it. And so you've got to do the work. You can't shortcut reading all those materials, like reading Gary Halbert, reading John Carlton stuff, everything he's written, I've read um and uh, like i said i've gone to all of his events dan kennedy is another one the guys who and and gals who have been there and done that you really need to take the time to um roll up your sleeves and get in there and and do the work you have to study it And i mentioned when i first started handwriting uh, sales letters that's a really great way to kind of get down to the skeleton of what's underneath copy and you start to see there's a pattern uh, uh, there's a rhythm a copy that you can't necessarily see when you first start just reading it when you write it there's something about going from your head to your hand that really it lights up your copywriting skills in, in a way that nothing else really can so I, I would definitely recommend doing that writing sales letters out by hand I know it's a pain in the butt but it it works and it kind of it just it's sh- if anything, it is kind of a shortcut to learning things and learning how people who the masters turn phrases and also when I'm writing copy, I will read good copy before I sit down to write it because you've got to have personality in your copy and you have to have a voice that comes through in your copy or it just is milk toast and boring so just to kind of get inspired, a lot of times I would read John Carltons and like nobody writes like John because he's he's unique. And I'm not trying to write like him, but it is inspiring to read somebody who really knows what they're doing and watch like all the stops that they hit and stuff. So I recommend doing, doing that, getting in there.
1: Lori, clearly you understood the value of investing in yourself and in training and coaches very early on. How did you find clients? What were the things that you were doing to attract those first couple of clients to your business?
2: That's a great question, actually. Um, because it, it is it does ebb and flow and especially when you're starting out. I really relied on live events to meet people. There's something about meeting somebody face to face. And and unfortunately, with the the pandemic going on right now, who knows when we're gonna have live events? Again, that's sad to me because that's even something more than than doing a Zoom video or or a a podcast, there's, there's a relationship that can develop when you're, you know, hanging out at a bar, you're talking about, you know, regular stuff face to face with somebody. And that's how I really built up my business was networking. So I guess today I'm, um, now I, I'm fortunate to have done all that. Right. So I have the name and people know me and my name gets passed around. So that's how I continue to get clients. I really don't advertise or do anything, you know, knock on wood, I've been very blessed that way, but it it did come from building it up on relationships. So I guess I'm I'm thinking how you could do this today. I think you would, you'd have to go over above and beyond to write personal emails to people like say like Kevin Rogers, a copy chief or to people that you admire in, uh, in the fields and see if you can build a relationship that way.
0: Yeah, it's a whole lot easier when we can meet in person. I agree. And um, I want to go back in time before we start talking about your business today. I'd love to hear, I I read on your about page that you moved 16 times before graduating from high school, which is remarkable. What business lessons, life lessons did you take away from moving 16
2: times? Wow. (laughs) Wow. I actually am able to build rapport very quickly because I had to make friends in different schools and different neighborhoods all the time and I've always been a bit of a loner kind of you know extroverted introvert if you will but I was able to read people pretty early on because you know you you have to to get to know them quickly. And you don't know how long, you know, you're going to be around. And the reason I move so much, by the way, is first of all, my, my mother married a man who was, um, he would manage factories and, we would lease our home. And so every year the lease was up and we would move. So it might be in the same city, but it would be in a different neighborhood. So I'd go to different schools and meet different people. Then when they got divorced, she married a military man. So we got, we moved around a lot because of that. So uh, it's, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't really planned out, but yeah, it was a lot of moving, a lot of um, adapting it has served me well because I can make friends so fast wherever I go, build rapport, which translates to copy.
1: Yeah, it, very nicely. So before we talk about the copy and how it translates into copy, if somebody wanted to learn that skill, they didn't have that opportunity to move 16 times or maybe even two or three times, but they, they want to bone up on making those kinds of connections, getting to know people really quickly. Are there some steps that we can take to, to put that into action?
2: Yeah, I think there are actually. Um, One of the things that I've always done is I've had an alter ego. And that was also something that when we talk about my book, uh, Ignite Your Moxie, that's one of the secrets to building your confidence up uh, is having an alter ego. And so to me, my alter ego was just sort of stepping into the skin of Somebody who was confident, somebody who knew, you know, her stuff. Somebody who was cool, I guess, one of the cool kids. And so it wasn't. I would think of different actors and actresses that I admired, and I would imagine I was them. Which is where the whole desire to be an actress comes from. Nobody's ever asked me that before, but that's uh, that's where it all came from. Was was living with alter egos and um, bringing those like like sort of as a a shield because if, if they don't like me it's not me right it's my alter ego so it it was it protected my heart and protected me from being too open in a strange way because i'm also actually pretty open so but it, but i had that barrier just in case i needed it of um the alter ego so it, it's and when i started going to these live events well i didn't know anybody really at first, right, so I'm meeting all these strangers, and I would walk right up to Dan Kennedy. I would walk right up to to Gary Halbert, like, fearlessly, because I think of, of the background of moving so much and being able to build rapport. And it was just sort of like I didn't have the fear because I – I don't know. Was I too dumb to have it? I'm not sure. Uh, because I had this um this alter ego kind of protection. So it wasn't like, it wasn't me walking up to them. It was, it was Lori Morgan from Red Hot Copy walking up to them. And so it, it's a strange thing, to even hearing myself say it, but that's, that was one of the things that I did to be out in the world and build rapport is to have an alter ego.
1: And you mentioned that this gives you an advantage when you're writing copy. Talk a little bit about that and why that is.
2: When I'm writing copy, as far as like an alter ego goes, it's, it's not a fake it till you make it. It's not pretending to be somebody else. It's really the heightened version of who you really are. So when you're sitting down to write copy, if you don't feel confident or you feel crappy or you feel like you have a lot of self doubt, it's going to show up in your copy. So you really have to be on your game when you're sitting down to write copy. So I, I will bring all the, the factors of myself that I like and um, make sure that I'm in a good mood, make sure that I've had, you know, time for myself so I can really focus. To me, that's really important. Self-care and doing things in your, in your life that that fire you up. You have to be able to do those, in my opinion, in order to bring your energy back to copy and to focus on it because you you do have to be there in a holistic way, if you know what I mean. So like you have to be firing on all cylinders when you're writing your copy.
0: I want to hear more about the self care, um, but first I I'm just picturing you walking up to Dan Kennedy and Gary Halbert with your alter ego. So can you like I'm getting into the weeds here, but can you walk us through what did you say? What when you're using your alter ego, are you just kind of channeling that? actress or do you have to go through an exercise before you step into that, the skin of that alter ego? Can you break it down even more so we can picture what this scene looked like when you're walking up to Dan Kennedy and, and how that interaction went?
2: For me personally, I don't have to break it down because I've lived it so much. Uh, like we talked about me moving so much and it's just become second nature to me to kind of invoke an alter ego. Um, and to separate myself from, from rejection, if you will. And so I guess it's like that Eleanor Roosevelt quote, like you can't feel inferior without someone else's permission. So I just, I kind of just didn't allow that to permeate. I, I, it wasn't an option. And it's sort of like going in as if I'm going to be best friends with Dan Kennedy. That never happened, but (laughs) but with that sort of attitude, like he's not going to, he's not going to say no to me i just didn't think of the negative i only focused on the positive uh, of the positive outcome that i wanted and then i just went for it
0: and what did you say to dan kennedy like what did that what
2: did that conversation look like that was funny. Um I actually walked up to Dan. I've never told anybody this. I walked up to him right before he was getting to go on stage because Dan, if you know him or you've been around in any of his events, he's very protective of his space. You can't get near him. He doesn't hang out with people. He doesn't go to the bar. He's he's like very hard to reach. So he was literally getting ready to go up and speak on stage and I sauntered across the room and I'm like, "Hi, I'm Laurie Morgan." I I I've always wanted to meet you. And he's looked at me like dumbfounded, like, I I can't believe you're walking (laughs) up to me right before I go on stage. But, um, but he was polite and he, he went up on stage and I, I started going to, you know, events of his, this wasn't his, he was actually speaking at someone else's event during this time. He started to get to know me because I was always there and and um, sort of in his space. And we actually, I I took a course of his, a three day copywriting boot camp, in January in the cold, in like fifty miles from any major city. It was like you only Dan Kennedy will you go someplace like that. But it was a three day intensive boot camp with Dan and thirteen other copywriters, and so he actually. Asked me to do a product with him on how to build a copywriting business because uh, I went to lunch with him and another copywriter, and he realized that we didn't really know how to build our businesses. And so he wanted, he invited me to do a call with him, and I was so blown away. We had to communicate by fax, of course, because, you know, he didn't have a cell phone and it was so old school, but it was a huge honor. So I actually have this product that. I I never really marketed super well that is about how to build your copywriting business that I did with Dan Kennedy. And
0: can you talk more about your self-care too, just with what you were mentioning about sitting down to write and how you really need to feel good because the way you're feeling will, it'll transfer into your copy. And I don't think we talk about that that often, at least on this podcast, oftentimes as copywriters, we're feeling overwhelmed by all the projects and all the things we have to do. And I think, um, that can often show up in our copy that, that, um, feeling of lack or lack of sleep or just not feeling great. What is your self-care routine look like today?
2: Well, it's different today than it's ever been. And it's, it's the most effective that it's ever been too. So I used to get massages back when you could do that <laughs> with very big fan of massages, but um, that's not such a, a, a doable thing these days. So for me, um, it's riding my horses. So that's like getting out in nature. Like I go with my fiance um, on trail. In the desert, because I live about fifty miles north of Los Angeles, right in the foothills before it starts getting into the big Rocky Mountains, and we will go through the desert together, and it's actually quite beautiful through the mountains, and um, you can see it, there's so much life in the desert, and it's um, I didn't think I'd really love the desert, but I really do, and and so it's we will go out for hours at a time and barely speak two words because it's the most meditative wonderful feeling and uh, of just being out in nature and being on a horse. For me, uh, that's my major self-care these days is is actually uh, riding. And the other thing I do is, uh, and I just started this in the quarantine, actually. I used to be a maniac about doing cardio classes like Taibo Actually, Billy Blanks's brother and sister opened their own Taibo thing. And so it's a version of Taibo that I was addicted to. And over the years, I sort of stopped going. And um, now I've started it up again because of Zoom and everybody's home and I don't have to drive. It's wonderful. So that actually gets my, um, my juices flowing to move my body. Dancing also. I love dancing. So sometimes I'll just put on some hip hop and I'll just dance around the house just to get my energy level up, but it's not always about moving. It's also about resting. I love naps. And I actually, when I, when I take a nap, well, sometimes if I'm getting too overwhelmed with copy or, or business stuff, I'll just kind of, I'll think, you know, I'll I'll allow myself to put it aside and I'll take a nap. And sometimes that's when I get my best ideas is when I sleep and I'm kind of in that half awake, half asleep state when I, when I get up and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I've got to write this down. I got the best idea. So some people get that in the shower. I get it when I take a nap. So that's like, um, naps and horses and dancing. Those are my, my secrets to success.
1: Yeah. More naps. Sign me up for that. That sounds uh, pretty good to me. So I'd love to shift our conversation just a little bit and talk about your business today and what the kinds of clients that you work with, the projects that you work on. Tell us a little bit more about that.
2: Well, it's interesting because, um, I went through another divorce two years, three years ago, and that's when I moved to the country and I met my fiance and got into the horse thing. So, um, before, before the divorce, I was very frantic about like wanting to be kind of a star, wanting to be seen, wanting to be very visible. Then after the divorce, I just really didn't care. I, I didn't need that kind of validation to be like, oh, it's Lori Morgan of Red Hot Copy. I didn't need that. But I I think I did need that when I was building my business. And um, it that served me pretty well. But these days, uh, I prefer a much slower pace, as if, as if you can't tell. Um, so my clients are, um, I'm actually doing a lot of copy coaching with a company, and I do copy editing. So I don't actually, lately, write the big sales letters and things like that. I, I, I clean up other people's messes. And I like it. I like it so much better for where I'm at in my life right now. Because it's sort of like I've, I've been there, done that. And it's it's a lot of work. It's a lot of effort to, as you guys know, to do a full-on sales package, um, to do all the emails and all that. So this is a, a lot more laid back and it suits me where I'm at right now.
0: With your copy coaching, what are some typical mistakes? Are there certain trends that you notice with your your students, your your clients that you're working with, where you know three copy mistakes that you see repeatedly that you know most of us are making.
2: Yes, actually, um, I'm actually doing a training for my client tomorrow on how to tone down the hype and how to to build more rapport. And it's it's a very subtle thing, but it's it's why I went to to marketing more to women than to men because when I first started writing copy. I I did this the full on testosteroneal, you know, bam bam bam, hit him over the head and I loved it. I could write like a guy. And um and you know, all the exclamation points and the yellow highlighting and the capital letters and it it turns out that if you really connect with your your prospect and build rapport that you don't need all that um all that dressing, that window dressing, I'll call it. And it's actually, it's sort of like if you're at a cocktail party and there's somebody who's up in your face and they're all hyperactive and they're telling you how great they are. That's the last person you want to be around. You, you're you much more likely to gravitate to somebody who's going to sit and listen to you, who understands where you've been coming from. And so building rapport, which all starts with research, right? And knowing who your target market is, really getting deep in into that, into knowing who you're talking to is the way to kind of build natural copy, if you will. And um, actually, Pauline Longdon and I, you know, Pauline from Australia, we're doing a product called Cognizant Copy, which is about that. It's sort of about toning down the hype and connecting on a a deeper, more emotional level with your copy, which is, it, it kind of is amazing to me that a lot of people don't get that right out of the gate, but I see it, I see it written and, and, um, you know, all the, the exclamation marks and the, the overdone, um, formatting. So I'd say that's a huge one is sort of not really building rapport and, and yelling at your prospect instead of drawing them in, which takes a little more effort, but it's definitely worth it, especially, in um, you know a noisy marketplace, if you're just going to be noisy, then it's just going to blend in with everybody else instead of drawing somebody in. So that's a huge mistake that I see a lot more than I thought I would see. So that kind of surprised me when I started doing the editing, that there's a lot of hype still out there that's really unnecessary.
1: So you mentioned that hype uh, maybe is one of the differences between copy that appeals to men and women. If uh, if somebody goes to your website, they're going to see this nice headline. In fact, I I love your website because it's so different from any other copywriter site that I've seen in the headline. Uh, You basically are just like, hey, men and women think differently. I can write for women and making it really clear what you bring to the table. So can you talk a little bit more about other things, other differences between writing copy for men versus women if our audiences are, you know, skewed one or one way or the other?
2: Oh yeah, that's one of my favorite topics. And what's funny is what right what works with women when you write to women per se, quote unquote, um it also works for men because men also like it when you build rapport, they like to know that you're listening to them. And so they also don't necessarily like to be yelled at or shamed, um, which is a lot of copy, the old style kind of did. And uh, that was one of the things I wanted to get away from too, was the sort of like, you're a loser if you don't buy my product. I've literally seen copy written like that, or like, frankly, I'm confused. you haven't bought my, my product and that kind of thing um, that, just the guilt and shame that doesn't really work with women. And when you turn a female prospect off, she's gone. And not only that, she's going to tell all her friends that, she, that you suck. And the same as if you're really good. Women are very loyal to their um, brands, whatever their brand is. And that brand expands to, like, let's say, I bought like the toothpaste for our family. So my kids still use crust because I chose that. And so it, it kind of, it, it's got ripples, a ripple effect in a much bigger way. When you get a female client versus um, a male client, no offense, but they're definitely, they stay very loyal to the brands that they love and they, they talk about it. They leave reviews, uh, which are super important nowadays. With them, um, you know that's how a lot of people make decisions on buying at all. Is is what other people have said. So you'll see, a lot of times women will do that. I'm not against men at all, by the way. <laughs> that's that's why it took me a long time to to actually come out and say, look, I write for women because I I am a female and I, I'm able to kind of uh, naturally build rapport for all the reasons we talked about and uh i think that that's that's one of the main differences is like i always take it back to um the caveman days like the men are the the hunters and they're very single focused and they they're almost with blinders on like they they see a problem boom they're going to fix it whereas women are taking in we're the gatherers and we're taking in all of this information um those were also smaller in general and Um, not as strong in general, speaking with broad brushstrokes here. But so we're always having to evaluate our surroundings and make sure that we're safe, make sure that we make the right decision with our resources. So we're a lot more cautious about where we're going to spend money, where we're going to spend our energy. We also have to make sure that our family is protected while the hunters are out doing their thing. So we're very focused on community And um, women speak more, so we have a lot. We have bigger language hubs in our brains, so we use language a lot more than men do in general. We speak about three times as much per day as men, which you can probably attest to, Rob. (laughs) Wow! Right?
1: Yeah, I suppose I can I can agree with that.
2: (laughs) Right. (laughs) So the differences are subtle, but they're very powerful differences.
0: How can I, so I'm listening to this and I feel like it's, some of this is built into my writing too, just to build that rapport, to create, um, connect on a deeper level. But what could I do if I want to do even more of that, or I, I'm writing to female audience, or I just want to just do that in general to improve my copywriting. How can I, what should I think about and what else could I do to connect on that deeper, more emotional level to build that rapport? Are I I don't want to ask for tricks, but how could I approach my writing to just take it to that next level in that department?
2: I have a trick, actually. I call it um, target. A a target is your target market distilled down to a single person. And I created this not knowing that there was such a thing called avatars or personas that businesses use. I thought that I made this up back when I was starting writing copy. I'm like, You need to write it to one single person. And not only that, but you need to know what that person had for lunch. You need to know like, what their favorite color is, where they grew up, what what their hopes and dreams are, how much money they have, if they have children or not, or they have pets, what do they do for exercise, Um, where do they go on vacation or where would they want to go on vacation? What are their hopes and dreams? And you have to get down so deep into knowing who your target market is. And then one single person and, and give her an age, not just like an age range, like she's 30 to 40. No, she's 33 or she's whatever, but you need to get, make her a flesh and blood character. And then when you sit down to write copy, imagine that person in the room with you and you're writing directly to her or you're speaking, you're having a conversation directly with that person. So the more you can make your target come to life, the more your copy is going to come to life and the more it's going to connect with the other person. And it sounds, it is very easy to do, but it's so easy to not do it. So if, when I teach people this business owners and copywriters both have this light bulb moment and it makes me feel so good, but it, it really does work.
1: So I want to go back to something you said earlier when we were talking about putting on the alter ego, this is something that you wrote about in your book. And so I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the process of writing your book. Why did you write it and what is it about? Who's the perfect reader that it will help
2: ignite your Moxie. I actually wrote about it or I I came up with the idea at the last copy chief when, um, that Kevin Rogers held in 2019 and they had there was a speaker on stage named Todd Herman who talked about alter egos, and I thought, wow, that's that's amazing. I do that all the time. And I, someone in the audience came up to me after he was done speaking and said, "Do you ever use alter egos?" And I'm like, uh, yeah, all the time." And it it struck me that a lot of people don't really think about having an alter ego or using one. And so I sat down to kind of write it. Uh, to write the things that I do to build my own confidence up. And that was one of the main ones is having an alter ego. I looked into like other rock stars and movie stars and whatnot who have them like Beyonce, for example, used to have an alter ego named Sasha Fierce. She said, Sasha Fierce was like bigger than life. That's who she was when she performs the rest of the time. She's just Beyonce now she doesn't she's stepped into the sasha fierce alter ego enough that she doesn't invoke her if you will which is i think what i do as well i've i've stepped into lori morgan red hot copy whatever so much now that i don't actively invoke her but back to your question like how do you get there it it is uh, thinking about the things that you like about yourself and even things that maybe that you don't necessarily have about yourself, like my alter ego is kind of is a combination of Laura Croft, uh, who's just a badass and isn't afraid of anything and can kick your butt and 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 um just she's just, just always on and Gwen Stefani, who is um the lead singer for was the lead singer for No Doubt now she's on the Voice so she's just a rock star and. You know, I don't know these people personally. Laura Croft's not even a real person, but I kind of meshed them together to create my alter ego, which is, you know, this fearless, um, confident uh, woman who just who never gets rejected. I mean, that's obviously not true, but when I allow that those parts of me to come forward first, I'm less likely to fail.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense, and. So and it seems like you could use that alter ego on sales calls and, and all types of business conversations, especially for new, new copywriters. I see how this could be beneficial or if you're speaking on stage for the first time or going on a podcast interview for the first time, you could step into that role because some of these marketing activities and what we need to do just to keep our business running um, can be really uncomfortable and daunting for many of us who haven't experienced that before yeah
2: I agree I think I, I think that anybody can really do that kind of thing um, I also other things that are in the book that I talk about are creating a, a, like a vision board of the things that you do want and like cutting out pictures from magazines or print them off the internet and then you you make a, a board and of the things that that you want in your life and you hang those in your in your office and so you see them I remember the first time I ever made a vision board was when I was in a I was in a beauty contest in high school and you had to wear a swimsuit. And so I was like, oh, I'm too hippie. And so I decided I was gonna lose weight. And I instead of going on a diet, I created a vision board of all these thin swimsuit models. And I don't know how much weight I lost or not, but <laughs> but I n I did. I, I reached my goal. And it was because it was in front of me all the time and, and it was something that I really deeply wanted. And um you can do that with, you know, with cars or with vacations or pets or with anything that you that you really really want. So a vision board is. I don't know. Have you guys ever created those? Rob has a vision board.
1: I do have a vision board. It's funny that you would ask too, because we just sat down with our kids uh, last Monday and kind of talked through like what are the things you want to you know accomplish in life and tried to get them thinking bigger about some of the things that they might want to do. And yeah, I actually added a couple things. I, I actually look at it as much as like a bucket list as a vision board, but yeah, I have a, a whole bunch of things that I want to accomplish, uh, before, uh, before my vision goes away finally, I guess.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's, it's a really powerful thing that you can do and it's fun. It's, I love that you did it with your kids. That's so cool.
0: Yeah. I, I journal, but I I haven't created the vision board. I believe in it and I want to. And so this is just a reminder that it's something that I really want to create because I think there's power in writing it down in your journal and having that bucket list and thinking through it. But there's so much power, like you said, and looking at it every single day and having it you know, in your office or in your bathroom so you can see it. I'm going to do it
2: that's very cool, well, I actually mine is out of date, so I am um I need to update mine, so that's a good reminder for me too so let's let's hold each other accountable. I like it.
0: We will all share our vision boards in the next two weeks that's that's our okay. mission, okay, so while we're talking about kind of visions and and mindset, you mentioned earlier that you felt like these weren't your words, but you were focused on your visibility in your business and kind of showing up. And then more recently through your divorce, it just changed and that's not a priority to you anymore. I just, I'm just curious to hear more about how your mindset has changed over the last five or so years in business. Um, what mindset challenges you're dealing with today that might've been different than what you were dealing with five years ago?
2: Wow. That's a really great question and good on you for kind of noticing (laughs) the the big shift. So, um, when I was married the second time, it was a long marriage actually, but it was actually very damaging to me. And so it, it was, um, there was a lot of emotional abuse that nobody really saw. And and because I come off as being a very strong person, but somehow (laughs) I ended up in this relationship where I was, I was sort of, um, beaten down mentally and, and I did actually rely more on the alter egos and things like that to thrive and to to be visible because I didn't feel like the kind of person that I was. People thought I was, so I would I would step into that role quite a bit. It was important to me to stay visible and what's the right word? Active. I'm gonna cry because I didn't feel. I just didn't get that kind of love at home. You know what I mean? Like I just. I felt like I needed that from the outside and I needed that approval and um, I've never even said this out loud, but I just, I don't need it anymore because I, it's, I have more (laughs) self-love. It's like a very woo woo on you, but, (laughs) but I, but I do able and getting, getting divorced was the best thing that I could have ever done in my, for my emotional health and for my my happiness and my freedom in my life. So I'm lucky that I have this skill that I can continue to rely on and to use and to help others with. But, um, now I also have love from within self-love. It sounds so woo woo, but it's true.
1: <laughs> it does sound woo woo and listeners of the podcast will know that I'm really into woo. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm the right person to talk about this, but, um, I'm curious, you know if somebody's in that space that you were in, you know where you feel like you need uh, affirmation or even love from outside of yourself, like what can they do to maybe move beyond that to take a step towards being okay with uh, with who they are, what they're doing, you know all of the things in their lives so that they can they can move forward?
2: Wow, that's a big question. I don't know <laughs> that's um I mean I know for me it it was. You know, sort of cutting a cancer out of my life. I don't think everybody has that extreme example. I guess therapy, (laughs) affirmations,
0: (laughs) therapy always
2: helps. Therapy does help. Truly, affirmations is another thing that is also in my book, uh, "Ignite Your Moxie," about how you can focus on positive things instead of the negative things, and you know, without being all Pollyanna-ish, but when you start feeding your mind more positive phrases, it does come out in your actions and it does affect your mood. And um, affirmations was, was a big thing sort of like almost like prayer, if you will, not that I'm super religious, but it's, it's sort of being grateful for what you've got and really focusing on the things that, that are positive in your life. And then they kind of expand. Well, I'm very woo woo today. <laughs>
0: That's great. I love it. So when you're talking about affirmations, then are you where are you pulling them from? I mean, I just haven't experimented with affirmations, but are you are you writing your own? Are you just kind of creating them on your own? Are you pulling them from another resource, from a mentor, or from other
2: resources? No, I'm not pulling them from other resources. Um they're they're really just it, it starts from gratitude. Like think of the top 10 things that you're grateful for. And it, they can be minutiae, but you could be like a grateful that I have a, a warm bed, a grateful that I have my health, grateful that that I have enough money in the bank that I don't have to worry about you know not paying my bills, and, and just it started and it does, it starts with gratitude for me, and then once you start realizing like appreciating what you really have, then it permeates out. So it, it's, it kind of develops from there so that I would, I would challenge you to do that. Like come up with 10 things every day that you're grateful for and they start getting bigger and bigger. You'll have like a hundred things that you're grateful for before you're done and it just put you in a better space.
1: So we've talked about affirmations. We've talked about the alter ego. What else is in the book that would be helpful for copywriters getting, you know, the mind straight, getting ready to work with clients and write really good copy.
2: Well, it's mostly about getting yeah your mindset straight and then you bring your mindset of course to your to the copy table. There's also things that you could do like um this is something that i I learned from John Carlton actually going back back in time is to kind of wear a uniform like to dress the part of when you're doing your copy so if you've seen pictures of me like from years and years ago you're probably see me in a cowboy hat. So I started wearing a cowboy hat in about 2004. This is a kind of a funny story. I don't know if you know who Allie Brown is. Easy. I do. Yeah. You don't know who Allie? Allie and I were inseparable and we would go to all these events together. They're mostly guys, but there was, and then there was me and Allie, like the two women, there were some, some females, but it was not a lot. And so there was one event that I got there first for. And I wore a cowboy hat and then Allie came like the next day and she wore a cowboy hat and everyone thought that it was me. they they were like, they were confusing her. And so she's like, I'm never wearing a cowboy hat again. And so I started wearing it to every event. And so it served a couple of purposes. One was that you could see me from across the room. If you were like with 3000 people at an event, like uh, Dan Kennedy's events, um, you could see me no matter what. So it was for visibility and it was the branding thing. And so when I would sit down to write copy, I would make sure that I had my cowboy hat on. So I was kind of stepping into that alter ego, into the red hot copy that was Lori Morgan. And now it's funny because I wear a cowboy hat to ride horses. <laughs> so it's like actually functional now, but it wasn't that it was just, um, a branding statement way back when. And it's, it's now it's, real. So it's fun.
0: That just reminds me of how the whole alter ego and, and the cowboy hat reminds me of how when I started as a copywriter, I and started my own business, I was dressing up as a pirate just because not because I loved pirates, but I just had the costume on hand and so it was my alter ego to kind of make me feel more confident as I was marketing and showing up and doing podcasts because you're right, it just At the time, I needed it, and then over time, I've shed it, but I didn't even think about it until now that I've – I was like, oh, I haven't had an alter ego, but I have. It's been there from the beginning. So That's so um, cool. (laughs) And I love that your cowboy hat actually started – um, for visibility, and there was a purpose at events to get attention from people who want to see you across the room. And now
2: it's actually part of your life. It's funny to me too. I love it. It cracks me up. I actually used to go to, like, I got tired of wearing the cowboy hat. Like, I got got tired of red, right? Because everything's red. Hot coffee, so I would wear red all the time too. And I got so sick of red, but I I got tired of the cowboy hat, and I'm like, I'm not going to wear it anymore. And then it when I would go to an event, people would ask me, where's your cowboy hat? So I would literally, <laughs> whatever town I was in, I would go and buy one because I had to have a cowboy hat. And now I have, how many do I have now? I have like, I don't know, a dozen right here next to me. I have So many of them, a little bit of a problem.
0: <laughs> so Lori, I, my last question for you is about, we teased it earlier, but what was your experience like working on the set of Baywatch? Can you tell us all the details?
2: Oh, okay. I would love to. So, um, I moved to California to be an actress. And as I told you, I sucked as an actress. And so I ended up getting married and I did, I did some theater. I didn't do a whole lot of stuff, but I always, I still studied acting while I was married the first time. And, and I, I still kind of wanted to do it. And so my then husband bought me at a fundraiser, he bought me a walk-on role on Baywatch so, you know, you bid, you bid for it. And then the school gets the money and I got to go on to be on Baywatch. And so I went, I had to drive all the way like town towards Malibu at like super early in the morning, like seven in the morning and flounce around on a, on the beach where it's freezing and you're supposed to like play volleyball and, and all that stuff. And, and then it got super hot, like a couple hours later. And so I was getting like, you know, sunburned and whatever. But they loved me and so they kept having me come back and do extra work. That was how I got my screen actors guild card, which is like the hardest thing in the world to get. Like you can't get an acting job until you have your SAG card and you can't get your SAG card until you have an acting job. But if you do enough extra work, they will let you in the union. And so I finally got my SAG card like after I quit quit acting, which kind of sucked, but <laughs> that's but I'm in the union and um I'm still in the union but I'm on hold right now. So I I did it for the summer and I um I was in my I had a close up I had a, a a an interactive part with Andre the Giant. He was the um the the crazed oh, cool um, yeah, he was like a monster like locked up in a cage and I had a little boy who was supposed to be my son and we were right next to him and he he was like growling at us and I had to have a reaction like oh no he's going to kill us that was my big acting moment and um, Pamela Anderson was on back then and she was a she was so mean to everybody and I was very I was very happy that as skinny as she was, that she still had cellulite. That's how petty I am. <laughs> <laughs> what what episode was this? I want to check it out. Oh my gosh, um it would have been in ninety, uh, probably ninety four. I want to say. And so I, whenever Andre the Giant was on, but I was on a bunch of them. Uh, okay. But you don't You probably won't see me on most of them. You'll see me with the one with Andre the Giant. I'm looking. Yeah, I'm looking for it. Okay. Tell me if you find it. I never looked for it, actually. How funny.
1: If we can find it, we'll link to it in the show notes.
2: Oh my gosh. Okay, cool. You can see how bad I am as an actress too.
1: Lori, <laughs> this has been a fun discussion. You've shared a lot of great insights and some tips that we could all benefit from. We want to respect your time. So if people want to reach out and connect with you, find you, follow you, even uh, find you on Baywatch, where should they go?
2: <laughs> well, my site is is where it all happens at redhotcopy.com. And um, I send out my, uh, musings, um, uh, copy tips, and just sort of what it's like to live in the country with, with horses and snakes and <laughs> chickens. So I would love for people to sign up for my, my list at red dot com, or just, um, uh, you can also follow me, um, on Instagram or Facebook too. Is also at red hot copy.
1: Awesome. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Lori. Hopefully we can meet you or see you again in person at some point soon.
2: I'm hopeful for that too. Let's visualize it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Putting it on my vision board right now. I love it. You've been listening to the Copywriter Club Podcast with Kira Hugg and Rob Marsh music for the show is a clip from gravity by whitest boy alive available in itunes if you like what you've heard you can help us spread the word by subscribing in itunes and by leaving a review for show notes a full transcript and links to our free facebook community visit thecopywriterclub.com we'll see you next episode